going to be kind of most of the summer as we walk through the Apostles' Creed. It's kind of the framework, but basically, we're going to walk through our doctrine as a church. It's going to be a doctrine series through most of the summer. And some of you kind of doctrine theology nerds are getting amped up. Like, finally, to talk about the ontological trinity. I am so excited. I can make fun of you because I'm one of you. I love it. But some of you, and this, this series might feel a little different. I mean, we do these mini-series, and it's practical felt needs. And we're going to, this may feel a little bit more dry at times as we're walking through doctrine. And I said, man, we're going to do a doctrine series. Some of you were like, how about no? <laughs> Maybe we just paint the walls and we watch that dry. Maybe we don't do the Apostles' Creed. Maybe do an Apollo Creed series because that would be fun, right? That sounds really fun. My fear, I think, sometimes, we treat doctrine kind of like kind of agreement to the terms of getting on Wi-Fi. You know what I'm talking about, right? When you log onto Wi-Fi at a coffee shop, there's like a 19-page document that you're supposed to read, and you scroll to the bottom to hit accept. I think that's how we treat doctrine sometimes, right? Like, there's a bunch of, you know, jargon I don't really understand, and maybe I'm signing my identity away. This could come back to haunt me, but accept. Right? And that's how I think some of us can feel at times. We talk about this jargon, theological terms I don't really understand, and this might come back to haunt me, but agree. I hope you understand the importance of doctrine and theology. Because here's the deal. This may sound dry, but although some miniseries can be kind of superficially scratching an itch, this, I promise you, is a deeper need that we have at times, and I hope you understand that, because look, what you believe will determine how you behave. Ultimately, it is your beliefs, your view of truth, and what this world is. Your beliefs will determine your behavior. So even if it doesn't on the surface feel practical, I promise you, it is. As a staff, we're reading A.W. Tozer of a significant theologian of our time was actually from Akron. You know, and he says it this way, you know, what comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. That's significant. And so why are we doing our series on our doctrine, walking through the Apostles' Creed? I found this quote, and it's a little bit longer, but I think, man, it really sets the tone as we're diving in. Look at this quote. We desperately need the Apostles' Creed. It stands as an important corrective to the me-centered theology of the present day. The creed reminds us that the truth is not optional. There are boundaries to the Christian faith. Not everything is negotiable. Some things must be believed if you are to call yourself a Christian. You can choose to live outside those boundaries, but if you do, you aren't a Christian, and you shouldn't call yourself one. Christianity is a doctrinal faith. Truth is not up for grabs. It is not decided by what we feel or by a majority vote or a latest opinion poll. The creed reminds us that truth comes from God. And that is where we must start in our spiritual journey. Clickety-clack, cacao. Like that is a meaty quote to understand some of the importance 
of truth that we can miss. So I think we have to do this and not just dealing on kind of our superficial issues at times. They're important. My daughter is just getting over poison ivy, right? Like, so the surface level issues, scratching those itches, figuring that out is important. Truth is the deeper bedrock and foundation that we need. And so we must dive in to that. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at our doctrine and kind of use the Apostles' Creed. Again, some of you have no idea what that is, even is. And so we're gonna, this is going to be a little different. Even at the end of each service, if you're comfortable, I mean, we're all going to stand and we're going to recite it together. But some of you have never even heard it. So out of the gate, I just want to read it for you. So when we say Apostles' Creed, what are we talking about? And this is the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Some of it I'm just curious, because it was for me, who was raised in a church where you regularly recited that? Okay, that's a fair bit. I mean, some of it you probably, when I started reading, can almost dive in. And we're going to talk about, you know, our hope isn't in the creed. Maybe it was a little bit of a different version. We'll unpack some of that. But kind of, I was every week reciting this. And so some of you might be excited. Some of you might not be excited. Some of you might be a little triggered, right? And I recited that thing every day, and it kind of felt meaningless. But I thought this was the church where it was about relationship, not religion. And I was raised in religion where we had to recite that every day, and it wasn't helpful to me. So why are we going to do that? Why are we going to sit here and recite it? All day, we need to separate relationship and religion. So if you had hope in reciting this, that's religion. It's the things I do make me right with God. So if I can memorize that, if I can recite it enough, somehow that makes me right with God. There's no hope in religion what we do to make us right with God. So separate religion and relationship, but never separate relationship with truth. Reciting that as some incantation doesn't help you. The truth that's within that and putting your faith in believing that is the foundation of your relationship with God. Believing that, putting your faith in the truth of that that is reflected in his word is necessary. So yes, separate religion. But you can't let go of truth. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through what these truths are. And maybe this, you don't get it. And why are we doing this? Let's start with this verse. This is Romans 10. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom 
in him of whom they have not heard. That word, you see it in the creed, you see it in this passage, believe. And that's that idea of faith, right? Believing, trusting. So some of, we look at the necessity of what we're doing, what hangs in the balance? Salvation. I mean, we're talking literally, eternity hangs in the balance of hearing the truth, knowing the truth, and believing not just about that, not just knowing about Jesus, but believing and putting your faith in Jesus. I mean, it is no exaggeration to say eternity hangs in the balance. Truth, believing truth is significant. It is of the utmost importance. So we must, it is our job as a church, to teach truth so that we can experience salvation by putting our faith in that. So we're going to walk through what is the truth, the core truths of God's word. But this kicking off, this week we're not even diving into it. Again, we're going to kind of walk through that thing line by line, but we're not even starting because what is the truth? You have to back up a step and ask a question before that. This is so important. Look, everybody has beliefs. Not everybody knows what they are, and almost nobody knows where it comes from. Church, please listen to me. You have a belief, but you must. It is so, 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 so. I'm going to do this obnoxiously to make the point. So, 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 so important to ask the question, where did that come from? You have a belief, but why? Where did you get that belief from? Because everybody has them. Everybody believes something about God. Whether the, and not everybody's even aware of what that belief is about salvation, about eternity. And almost nobody makes the logical next step to ask, where did that come from? This is us. Just finished up. Fan of the show. There's not many shows where there's a white dad trying to raise a black son, so I was in. And it gets into kind of, you know, eternal things in this show, and I'm watching it, and it gets hokey about views of the eternal life, and people just soak it up. I guarantee people watch that show and go, oh, I believe that. That's how that goes. Why? Because this is us, a TV show. Right? We're just inundated with views of what truth is. And we go, oh, you know, I believe that. Why? Because I saw a TikTok video where she was like, this is what God is. This is what. We're laughing. Am I wrong? No. We get inundated and we don't ask, where does that come from? TikTok determines our view of God and salvation. I promise you, I'm not wrong. So we have to. Not just talk about what do we believe, but peel it back. Where does that come from? So I'm going to dive into our first kind of statement of our doctrine. If you go on our website, this is our doctrine. We believe the 39 books of the Old Testament and the 27 books of the New Testament to be verbally inspired scriptures of God and inerrant in the original writings and that they are of supreme and final authority. I'll put our cards on the table. When we say we believe, we mean we, Redemption Chapel, believe 
that this is the word of God. It's composed of 66 books. You see the breakdown, 39 in the old, 27 in the new. One coherent story, verbally inspired. God didn't just send it down. It says men were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Church, listen. Every word in this book is the word that God inspired and wanted in this book. That's what we believe. Have the courage to ask the question, why do I believe what I do? This here, we believe, is the word of God. You see, kind of, again, some theological terms may be thrown around, but they all fall from that. God wrote this book. And then it all flows from there. You see that word inerrant, without error. If God wrote this book, can God error? I need a, I need a yes. I need a, yeah. It's a, that was a trick question. No! <laughs> can God err? No. If God wrote this, it is inerrant. It is without error. It has to flow from there. If this is the unchangeable word from the unchangeable God, last line, it is of supreme and final authority. You'll hear it all the time. You'll say it in your own life. I don't believe that. Again, who knows where you got it from? I don't believe in a hell. God said it. You don't feel it or think it. Who do you think is right? My feelings have no bearing on what is true. This is something we say here all the time. Look, where God and I disagree, who wins? If this is God's word and God says it and you don't like it or disagree with it, who wins that? This is of supreme and final authority. I'm so excited for this illustration. I heard it. <laughs> who, uh... Whoever, who's been to D.C.? I'm sure most of you. Washington, D.C., right? I love D.C. The monuments are amazing. And if you know one of my favorite things, it's all free. It's crazy, right? There's museums. You just walk right in. They don't say nothing to you. You don't pay for any of it, except in all the mass amount of taxes. But you get the point, right? It's all free. There's monuments everywhere. I bet you, for everybody that's been there, you missed this one. I don't know if you can even see it on the plaque. This is Braddock's Rock. It's kind of on one of the on-ramps of the Teddy Roosevelt Bridge. Got its namesake for General Braddock. This would have been kind of on the shoreline, would have landed on that rock. He and his 400 men from there actually marched to Fort Duquesne, and they all got slaughtered in Pittsburgh. So there's a minor lesson. Don't go to Pittsburgh. They dogs over here. <laughs> you know? But that's why it was named. Before the namesake of Braddock's Rock, it was called the Key of Keys. The Key of Keys. It's actually, the reason there's a well is because over time it got covered over. 16 feet down in that well, if you look in, is a rock. What was that rock? They would use it for surveying. It was the fixed point by which they used to judge everything else. Right? Right? Where is that? Where is that border? What? You have to have a fixed point. Okay, it is two miles that way. You would start at the Key of Keys. Put your feet on Braddock's Rock. 
If you were to ask me, where's Kent State? You know, I tell you, it's four miles that way. What's the fixed point? Me. That's how we in culture determine where something is from the perspective of me. Here's the problem I'm not a fixed point. Ask me again where's Kent State? Four miles and three feet that way. Where's Kent State? Four miles and six feet that way. Did Kent State move? No. What did? Me. As you get to that point, you determine your belief because that's what I feel. That's what culture thinks at this time. It's constantly moving. Have the intellectual integrity to say, oh, I believe that. Well, because of me, I determine what is truth. But have, again, the integrity to know. I promise you, if you were born 200, 2,000 years ago, you would believe something else. Something else would be true to you. If you were to be born 2,000 miles in any direction to another country, you would believe something else. And it's not that truth changes. We do. You need a fixed point. And that's what we're saying we believe. This is our rock on which we stand. This is our key of keys. What do I think about God? I start here and determine what that is from this, my fixed point, my starting point. We think, I mean, obviously, we're going to look at the big things of theology, but even your views of life, whether it be salvation, eternal things, sexuality, gender. Well, I don't think that, but I'm constantly moving. What is my starting point? So that's what we believe. The creed in of itself has no authority only if it reflects, I've heard it like the sun and the moon, right? The, the moon doesn't produce light. It only reflects the light of the sun. So there's no authority in and of itself in the creed, only in that it reflects the truth of God's word. So that is our belief. This is the very word of God. Salvation is in the balance. It is necessary to believe. Heidelberg Catechism is in a question format. Asks this question: What then must a Christian believe? We're saying belief is necessary for salvation. This was written 500 years ago, and is still one of the greatest tools we have in our disposable to teach and catechize. If you want a fancy word, truth. We said eternity hangs in the balance. How do we answer that question? Well, in some ways, you could just say, well, the Bible, right? What do we believe? This is the word of God. Believe the Bible. Okay. Here you go. Okay, it's a big test. Ah, Start. In the beginning, God created the heavens. That's a big book, right? What must a Christian believe? The Bible... Why do we then get to the creed? The creed essentially serves as like the cliff notes of this thing, right? So yes, believe all of it, but what are the core things that you need to believe for salvation? 500 years ago, you know what they put down? They just wrote down the answer, 
the Apostles' Creed. It gives us the cliff notes. It gives us the believe all of this. But the creed then becomes, if God is the most important thing, it's the most important things about the most important thing that you need to know. And that's why we're walking through the creed. So I just want to kind of close with that. The benefits of walking through the Apostles' Creed. What are the creedal benefits that we can glean? One, it brings clarity. Clarity of what we just said. What are the core truths? Our doctrine has kind of nine core values. Some people like to break it down to like a core four. I want to be more thorough, you know, more biblical than that. And so, you know, we're going to kind of go to the nine core beliefs to know and understand. So it brings clarity. What is the core of this thing? So therefore, it gives us clarity of what then a Christian must believe. Because there's a lot of different things you got to understand on our website. There's doctrine, and then there's distinctives. They're not the same. We have distinctives that kind of show what is unique about Redemption Chapel, maybe even from other churches, our style, you know, some of our ministry philosophy. You hear it in the word, right? It's distinct, maybe even from other churches. That's not what this is. All churches have distinctives. But all churches, to be a church, need to hold to these core doctrine. We want to allow, we want to make sure we focus on the main things being the main things. It's okay. There's a lot of kind of secondary, non-essential beliefs that are important, but not to clarify what does it mean to be a church that has always been a church. We get that. Maybe you're going to move at some point. Oh, is this a good church? Do you know where I'm going to start? Do they have these core doctrine? So it gives clarity of what is a church and therefore what is a Christian. Remember the quote out of the gate. It is a credo. It's a confessional doctrinal faith based off of truth. To step outside of these core, you then can rightly question, okay, am I even a believer? Are we worshiping the same God? So one, it gives clarity of what a Christian is. What are the core doctrines? What is a church? Secondly, it brings correction. See, all of this, again, all of the creed must be a reflection of what is taught in God's word. So then, what purpose should a creed serve? You should ask yourself then, what is the question of the Bible? As we're talking about the Bible, there's a verse that's hard to avoid, right? All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness. This is prevalent in our culture and very dangerous. doesn't matter what you believe. You just got to believe something. Raise your hand if you ever heard that. I've heard that. That is not biblical, and I would say is dangerous. The whole point of God's word is to point the way of truth and to correct from lies and error. You see it in there, correcting very nature. That's where the creeds came to be. This is kind of the oldest accepted creed. But you kind of see, you know, maybe you've heard of the Nicene Creed. What happened was there were starting to be errors, and the church said, we need to protect against those errors. So part of the whole point of the creed is to correct against errors here. <laughs> I love this story, and it shows the value to protect truth. 
So they would have kind of church councils to get together to decide what is true. One of those, parents, I'm not going to try to ruin anything, but hear the namesake. St. Nick was at one of those councils. So they're hashing out what is truth. It comes to blows. St. Nick pops a guy in the mouth because he was starting to teach heresy. Jolly St. Nick punches a guy in the chicklets. That's how important truth is. Because we know to believe lies is dangerous. I love having quotes on the bottom of my emails. I'm going to change it to this. The greatest source of our suffering are the lies we tell ourselves. There's a whole lot of truth packed in there. Maybe you know some truth, but you need reminded or you're not believing it. Some of our greatest suffering about the purpose that which you were created of God forgive, God's forgiveness of you. Again, man, you, you may think, oh, this isn't scratching an itch on the surface, but this is the deeper thing that you need. Truth about who you are, why you were created, how we can experience salvation. In much of our suffering, we want to equate to circumstances. And I would agree with this. Some of our greatest suffering, that's Satan, right? The great deceiver. God is truth. And we need to protect and correct against that. And ultimately, I think this will bring great comfort. That is our deeper need is truth. Again, part of the problem for me was reciting it is it was just facts I knew about. So part of our hope isn't just knowing about God, but right, it's a proclamation of we believe, we live, we believe into this, not just believe facts about this. Apostle Peter says that. Look, some of you, oh, I know that. I've recited it a million times, no big deal. Okay, well, you... Peter says, I have no problem reminding you. Are you sitting in some shame for what you've done? Because I thought we just said we believe that Jesus paid for that. Maybe you don't know that and you need to know it. Maybe you just need reminded of it. Maybe you just need to stop believing that and believe into it and put your faith in that. Because ultimately you think, oh, I need a better job. I need to improve my circumstances. Let's look at the words of Jesus together in John 8. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So you want comfort, and you think, oh, I just need to get better circumstances. Jesus says you need the truth about who you are in him, what he's done for you, where you're going. Ground yourself in the truth, and the truth will set you free. I think that's our deeper need. And lastly, I'll close with this. I think it gives us confidence. Clarity on the core truths, correction from lies, and ultimately it gives us comfort, but confidence in our truth. The Apostles' Creed. We don't know the exact counsel of how it came to be. It was, a, it was a baptismal formula. If you wanted to get baptized, you had to kind of know these truths. So it's been around kind of 120, 150. So we're talking just shy of 2,000 years. 
all of Christendom has stood on this. See, you believe something. I'm telling you what we believe, that this is the word of God and these are the core truths that the church has always stood on. So I mentioned Kent State already. Let me take you back there. I'm going to close with this story because it was so impactful to me. It was huge in my life. It's actually where I met my wife. We weren't dating yet. I saw this hot freshman coming on campus, and I was like, girl, you still got money on your food plan? (laughs) She did, you know. So we went to Rosie's, and I'm like, oh, I'll marry that girl, you know. That's a true story, (laughs) not the story I'm telling. (laughs) I swear, I kind of cut my teeth the first time challenged with, okay, I know what I recited as a kid. It doesn't say what my church believes. It says, I believe. For the first time in my life, I'm assaulted, and I got to decide, what do I believe? So I take a religion class at Kent State. <laughs> we got a creed. It wasn't the apostles. Look, everybody has a creed. The word creed just means belief, credo. I believe. You believe something. And I was literally in a religion class at Kent State called to recite it. That's what a creed is. It's a belief put forward that you're called to affirm. And I was told in a class to affirm this every single time. So I get up to go to a religion class. It was 8.10. I kid you not, I would set my alarm for 8 o'clock. I wasn't a great student. <laughs> you think that's barely enough time to brush your teeth. Correction, it's exactly enough time to brush your teeth. <laughs> I kid you not, I'd get up, I'd take off the sweatpants I slept in, put on the sweatpants I was going to class in, I'd brush my teeth. It was a five-minute endeavor. I was in Lake Hall. The class was in Bowman Hall. It was a five-minute walk. Boom! I wasn't a great student. I'm sorry. So I get there. And I'm in this religion class. And here's what the professor says. He said, we're going to recite this together. Every religion is a new religion every day. Actually, a worship leader in the area, I was sitting next to Jim Bossler. He was in that class with me, except he was super old. He was like 35 as a college kid, if you knew him. It was crazy. (laughs) Did I just hear that? No way. In fairness to him, I was in REM sleep 10 minutes ago. Maybe I heard him wrong. So I backed that alarm down at 7.55. I splashed some water. And he sits up here and says it again. He says, class, repeat after me. Every religion is a new religion every day. That's a lie. That's not the truth. And that is false. And I was told truth doesn't matter. Truth changes. God must change. Religion must change. You're going to get told a bunch of truths that you are called to believe. To stand up in that class, I didn't get a great grade. We mixed it up a lot. And that's where I want you to have confidence. I threw my hand up. No way. No way. Christianity hasn't changed. Distinctives can change. What it has always meant that God sent his son to die for you, that you were created by him. The church for almost 2,000 years has been reciting the very thing that we're going to recite. There is truth. 
God is true. He truly loves you and sent his son to die for you that we can have everlasting life. That is true. Will you believe what is taught in this? And I promise you, the truth will set you free. Will you pray with me? Father, protect us every moment of every day we're assaulted, called into things to believe, harmful, dangerous things. God, would you root us in your truth and with the truth set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. Won't you stand with us? As we respond to this message this morning and and as we go through this series, this is going to be a really cool thing that we're going to do weekly as we recite this together, responsive uh, to what the Lord has done and what we believe. So if you will, just raise your voices and, and say this with me, all right? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.